Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Swinney, along with my co-host, Bonnie Quinn. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and on Bloomberg.com. It is time to talk Amazon. It's the story of yesterday evening, today, and for what will be the foreseeable future, at least in big tech. Let's bring in somebody who knows a lot about the company. He was an early investor. Matt McElwain is Group Managing Director at Madrona Ventures. Matt, your reaction to Bezos' I don't really want to call it a departure. He's still going to be executive chairman. What exactly will he be doing? Well, I think he'll get to keep uh, being a pioneer and, and thinking about the next uh, major areas where, uh, you know, Amazon can find opportunity. Um, I mean, I was surprised that he's handing over the CEO job because I think he got to do a lot of that pioneering, envisioning in the role today. Uh, but on the other hand, I am highly confident that Andy Jassy, who's going to be taking over as CEO will do an incredible job in that role. He is absolutely the, the most logical choice for all kinds of reasons. Hey, Matt, any, uh, anything we should take away as it relates to timing? Why now? You know, they, they really did have an exceptionally good year in really tough circumstances in 2020. And Jeff leaned into the business and helped them innovate not only on uh, – uh, you know, how are we going to scale up to, to support all of this increased demand? But and I think they spent over $10 billion on COVID-related, you know, testing and processes and protocols so that they could keep their employees healthy while they're continuing to serve their customers. So that must have been an exhausting year. I know how exhausting it's been for all the startups we work with. And it probably Jeff just said, look, you know, uh, there's, there's certain aspects of that role that I think another person and, and somebody like Andy, who had, was, of course, Jeff's you know, technical advisor, think of that as kind of like his chief of staff 20 years ago, early in his tenure at Amazon. And then you know, Andy, through that process, you know, helped identify and transform how Amazon was going to scale as a business through you know, kind of cloud-based infrastructure. And then he went out and started you know, Amazon Web Services. You know, I remember hosting with Andy 14 years ago uh, an event at a warehouse in Seattle for startups. And I got up and made fun of venture capitalists. And Andy got up and said, hey, we've got this new service. It's called, you know, compute as a service and storage as a service. We're calling it Amazon Web Services. And you startups might want to give it a try. <laughs> 14 years later, that is a $50 billion in revenue business growing at almost 30%. It's today. very hold and catch fire. So Amazon stock unchanged today, and obviously people are quite fine with this change, but I wonder, you know, what what does it mean for the future of Jeff Bezos? Does he want to concentrate, for example, on Blue Origin, his space company, and his, maybe his philanthropic work? I mean, he ha- we, we know he, he does philanthropic work. We're, we're not quite sure where or what. But he also, of course, owns the Washington Post. Or will he start something new, do you think? You know, you know, Jeff is fabulously curious, and so I, I wouldn't put it past him to start something new, but he has been investing in several areas, uh, you know, outside of Amazon. You know, you mentioned Blue Origin. You know, it's probably less well-known. Uh, I think stylistically, Jeff and Andy and the Amazon folks tend to kind of just go do things and make a difference. You know, in Jeff's case, you know, there's the Bezos immunotherapy clinic at the Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center that I've been on the board of for many years. And so there's a passion there around 
helping with the leading edge ways to to treat and cure cancers. You know, you know, for that matter, Andy Jassy's been incredibly involved in education and educational opportunities through organizations like Rainier Scholars and Rainier Prep, where he serves on the board and donates his time. So, I think in the nonprofit world, they both share a lot of passion around climate change, and you know, they were very involved together in. You know, this, the, the new uh, arena that our new hockey team that Andy's one of the owners of is the Climate, climate Pledge Arena. So I think in the environmental areas and you know, the commitment by Amazon to be carbon neutral uh, by sometime in the, night, in the 2030s, I can't remember exactly the year. You know, those are kinds of things that I think Jeff will continue to be engaged with and involved with. And then, you know, to your point, you know, will he find some other area? I think this whole broader area of healthcare, with all that's happened with COVID this past year, I think has really caught the attention of, of Amazon and how they can take some of their, you know, start with the customer, iterate, you know, learn and then scale up kind of approach and apply it to, uh, to the healthcare world. Mm. Matt, what do you think of philanthropy real quick here? Uh, Jeff has been, uh, I guess, criticized by some by not being perhaps as uh, aggressive as some of his peers. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's always going to be, you know, folks that, that, that critique, you know, kind of high profile, you know, uh, individuals. Uh, you know, I think there's so much generosity of both time and resources in the, the senior folks at Amazon that I've come to know over the last, you know, 20 plus years. Uh, and I think that Jeff is amongst those. Uh, and, you know, you, you know, he's got a lot of passion for education as well. Um, you know, that's an area with, uh, you know, you know, some of the foundation, you know, priorities that he has set up that I think he'll probably be able to have more bandwidth to do, to do additional things in. Um, but, uh, you know, I, you know, these are folks that are, you know, deeply, I mean, you know, it's interesting, Jeff and I went to rival public high schools in Miami, and we both, you know, did not come from, you know, a lot and had to work really hard. And I can completely empathize with, you know, his desire and passion. I share it for giving every person the educational opportunity that they deserve to have. Well, we're looking forward to seeing all of that. Uh, just very quickly, did you get out of your Amazon position? Are you still in? Oh, well, we, we were early investors yep. in Amazon. And, and so, you know, from a Madrona perspective, we, you know, we haven't been investors in Amazon as a venture capital firm. What we do do is invest in a lot of companies that build on top of things like Amazon's cloud business or work with the Amazon Alexa and Echo platform. And so it's been very instructive over the years to have those close relationships and think together about how do you build out an ecosystem around some of the successful investments that Amazon's made in different areas, like that story I told you back from 2007. Well, Matt, we would love to hear more about that very, very soon. And thank you for joining us today. One of Amazon's early investors, early, early investors, Matt Michael Wayne, Group Managing Director at Madrona Ventures. And so now we want to bring in somebody with a little bit of a different perspective. He wrote the book, Working Backwards, Insights, Stories and Secrets from Inside Amazon. He was a former Amazon VP. His name is Colin Breyer, and he joins us now. So, Colin, excited to hear some of the secrets from Inside Amazon. Haven't had a chance to read your book. Very definitely will now. But tell us something about Jeff Bezos that we may not know. Well, so I worked with at Amazon started in 1998, and I worked for two years as Jeff Bezos' chief of staff uh, right after Andy Jassy left that role and moved on to, to start web services. And at that time, you know, it was a pivotal time for Amazon. We're, we were creating and launching Amazon Web Services, the Kindle uh, fulfillment by Amazon, you know, things that would eventually go to be very, very large businesses at Amazon. 
But one of the things that um, isn't really talked about too much outside of the company is Jeff and Andy and the management team spent a whole lot of time figuring out how to build an enduring company and uh, really created a set of uh, principles along with some scalable, repeatable processes on how small groups and and large groups can build and operate uh, and and create new businesses that are really customer-obsessed, long-term thinking, uh, you know, have a spirit for invention, and then really take pride on operational excellence. And that's what we what we call the invention machine, and and uh, it's a set of it's leadership principles and a set of uh, scalable processes. And I think that's going to be one of Jeff's and Amazon's enduring legacies that will last. Uh, after you know, we'll, at some day we're going to look at these hockey pucks and cylinders we have in our kitchen, and <laughs> and and think that hey, can you believe we thought two day and one day delivery was a premium express experience? You know, the customer experience is going to evolve over time, and I'm excited to see how that happens and what Amazon's going to do. But an enduring legacy for Amazon that they've uh, given everyone at Amazon, and also what we talk about in the book for that other organizations can use is how to build these types of, of, of companies. And it's a new way of building and operating in management science, if you will. Colin, talk to us about the culture, the work culture within Amazon. Uh, there's been lots of uh, stories written about how it's so demanding. It's perform or get out. Talk to us about the culture that Jeff Bezos created at Amazon.com. So if you had to encapsulate well, what the culture is, you know, and Jeff has described it this way, he would say customer obsession instead of competitor obsession, um, a willingness to think long term and be misunderstood for long periods of time and uh, just an eagerness to invent. And part of that is also you have to um, if you're going to invent an experiment, you have to have some processes in, in place on how you fail and, and how you can learn from failures and move forward. And then the last thing is really taking pride in operational excellence. And, you know, most of the work that a lot of these teams do don't see the, the light of day, but you know, even outside of your team, but you have to get the little details right. And, you know, one of Amazon's leadership principles is insist on the highest standards. Um, you know, if you go and work at Amazon, you need to bring your A game every day. You have to hold yourself first and foremost accountable to those high standards and then uh, those around you. And those around you will do the same to you. So it's a culture that um, I personally liked it. You made me uh, want to be a better person and work with teams and produce something that sometimes we didn't even think were possible. Um, it's not for everyone. You know, there, luckily, there are many different company and corporate cultures. Yeah. But, you know, the one Amazon has is is um, really customer-obsessed and in- yeah. inventive. I mean, even within Amazon, I presume, Colin, you're talking about the whiter-collar jobs. I mean, we know, you know, stories coming out constantly. For example, just a couple of months ago, we wrote a story about how 4,000 employees are on food stamps in nine states. We also know that Alabama is trying to unionize and Amazon is ratcheting up anti-union pressure on workers there. Do you think that Jassy will be a better boss to those employees? You know, I think Amazon now has 1.3 million employees, uh, give or take. Um, the vast majority of those do work in uh, f- fulfillment centers and, and well, in the log- logistics arm. And so it is a, a key component of Amazon's success. And uh, I do think that Andy's going to continue to focus on creating a, a safe environment um, leading the charge in some respects about uh, career choice for military veterans coming back to Amazon um, and, uh, you know, 
uh, with $15 an hour uh, minimum wage stepping up before other a lot of other companies have. I think you'll see some of that continue. That having been said, Amazon does occupy a different place in society than it did five or even 10 years ago. And um, it, it can and should be uh, scrutinized, the company practices, just because of the impact it has in society and um, you know, be part of the, the societal dialogue on how um, a company that large uh, interacts with its employees and, and business partners. So, uh, Colin, do you expect Andy Jassy to do uh, anything different? Uh, do you expect him to maybe pivot the company in any way, new products, new services, new verticals? I think that there will be some surprises along the way inventions, but in terms of you know how Jeff and Andy are, I think they have many more similarities than than, than differences. Um, you know, Andy does have an inventive spirit. He created Amazon Web Services that went from zero to ten billion dollars faster than Amazon.com itself did, mm-hmm. and it you know it's now about a fifty billion dollar business. So Andy's got experience working both with small teams creating, uh, you know, uh, taking ideas and creating them from scratch and making them uh, very viable products and services for customers, as well as managing, you know, large multi-billion dollar businesses. So um, I I think, um, you know, in terms of what will happen in the near term, it's going to be more of the same. And part of that is just simply because of Amazon scale. A lot of the seeds that, uh, uh, were planted, you know, they take years to develop to, and, you know, to reach the scale that it will be noticed outside of Amazon. So the things that we'll see over the next 12 or 18 months likely will have started before, you know, Andy took the, 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 the CEO role. But um, I would expect how Amazon operates is going to be not uh, change too much, but Amazon will surprise us with new products and features as they always have. Yeah, that's certainly the case. Colin Breyer, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate uh, your insight. Colin Breyer, former Amazon vice president and author of Working Backwards, Insights, Stories, and Secrets from Inside Amazon. He's also co-founder of Working Backwards, LLC, based in Seattle, Washington. Well, New York State has an aggressive commitment to source 70% of its energy from renewable sources by 2030. Our next guest is part of the effort to achieve that goal. Clint Plummer, he's CEO of Rise Light and Power. It's a wholly owned affiliate of LS Power based in New York City. Clint, thanks so much for joining us here. This is a fascinating story. I'd like to start by just saying, having you describe what Rise Light and Power is and how you're part of this renewable effort with the state. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Um, we are the largest power generating station in New York City. We have about 20% of all the generating capacity in New York City. And over the course of the last several years, we've been making aggressive investments in retooling our facility to help achieve the state's goal of transitioning to 100% clean energy by 2040. So, Kent, explain what that means to those of us who should know more about this area but don't. New York City uses a great deal of power. And that means it's very uh, important that we're able to transition that from its conventional mix of mostly fossil fuels to cleaner uh, sources like wind and solar. Our site is a gateway for bringing capacity into New York City. So we've been making investments over the last several years in building out battery storage on our site so we can store energy that's produced at night that's cleaner and cheaper and deliver it during the daytime. We've also been developing 
a series of new transmission facilities that will allow us to connect New York City to other points in the grid, like upstate New York, where power is cheaper, where power is cleaner, and in so doing, we're able to reduce the cost of energy in New York City, and we're able to improve the air quality around our plant and others. Clint, tell us about the Catskills Renewable Connector. That sounds interesting to me. Yeah, that's the project I was referring to, Paul. It's a um, it's a big buried transmission line. It'll start at our site in Queens on the East River and traverse the East River, the Harlem River, and the Hudson River to a point that's about 120 miles north of New York City, just south of Albany. It'll connect to the bulk transmission system there. That gives us access to abundant wind and solar energy resources across upstate New York, both existing and new. There's a tremendous amount of potential to build new wind and solar across upstate New York, but those projects are shut in because they don't have access to the same type of customers that are in New York City. So we see this project as one that will give New York City energy users access to clean, cost-effective renewable energy made right here in New York State, and it will help spur economic development, job creation, and new tax base for communities across upstate New York that will build and host those facilities to deliver power downstate. Now, as CEO of Rise Light and Power, you're CEO of an energy asset manager and developer. It's wholly owned by LS Power, but I'm curious as to where you get your funding in general for all of these projects and whether it's all state funding and what a, a new administration might mean given how focused you are on clean energy and renewable energy. Yeah, absolutely. So LS Power is a privately held company that manages about $10 billion in private equity funding. Um, So we're very well capitalized. Um, As you also mentioned, we own and operate the largest generating station in New York City. So we have a steady stream of cash flow to fund these development activities. Um, So all of our investments are privately funded. Um, We do see the new federal administration uh, taking aggressive actions in support of new clean energy, both onshore and importantly, offshore. I spent 13 years in the offshore wind business before coming to this job. I was very proud to be part of the team that developed and built the first offshore wind farm in the United States. We see the Biden administration making aggressive moves to help grow the offshore wind sector as a, a coastal Uh, metropolis, New York City, is prime to take advantage of the abundant offshore wind energy resources near our city. And so at Rise Light and Power, in addition to uh, the Catskills project, we're also working on a number of initiatives to help bring clean, cost-effective offshore wind energy into our site as well. So, Clint, just give us a sense of how New York State is relative to some other states in terms of renewable energy. If I drive upstate or the next time I drive upstate, should I be on the lookout for wind farms, solar farms? Yeah, New York has a long history of being out on the forefront of thinking about uh, clean energy technologies. In fact, it really is a story of two different grids. The upstate power grid in New York is very, very clean and very, very cost effective because uh, going back 100 years, we've been building hydropower. And in addition to that, we now, over the last uh, decade or so, have been very aggressive in building out wind and solar facilities. So it's a very clean grid. It's a very cost effective grid. The challenge is when you get to a densely populated urban area like New York City, it's difficult and expensive to build large-scale renewable energy in a place like this. And the unique geography of New York in that we've got this pinch point coming down 
the Hudson River Valley, it's very difficult to build transmission lines there. So New York has very aggressive policies that are progressive and that are moving us in the right direction. It's simply a, a, a challenge of de-bottlenecking our ability to access those clean and abundant resources upstate and at the same time getting access to the clean resources that are offshore. Our focus at Rise Light and Power is being uh, a hub for bringing in both offshore and, and onshore renewables and breaking through that logjam to get it into New York City. You know, we could talk all day, Kent. It gets uh, more interesting the deeper we get into subjects like this, and we appreciate your time, so do come back soon, please. Clint Plummer is CEO of Rise Light and Power, and uh, I don't know about you, Paul, but I'm probably certainly getting some of my power from them. Yeah, I, you know, I just, you know, I'm one of those that just flips the switch and just expects it to work, and I don't yeah. really think about where it comes from, but Clint was just... You know, explaining the economics of upstate versus downstate, this is a project that makes a lot of sense to me, at least. Absolutely. A lot to talk to our next guest about. Let's just get straight to David Garrity, Chief Market Strategist for Laidlaw and Company and Partner at BT Block. Huge expertise in tech, really across the spectrum of tech. So we want to talk about Bezos moving to executive chairman in a few moments. But I have to start with the GameStop saga and basically the Reddit swarm. (laughs) David, you know, what's going to happen next? Who are the heroes the Redditors are going to anoint? Obviously, they've anointed Mark Cuban, Chamath and a few others, people who clearly have everyone's best interest at heart. So who's next? Um, Clearly looking at the Reddit mob, um, I mean, certainly champions have come forward. Arguably, Mark Cuban has always been something of a controversial figure, has always been out there representing himself as working for the little investor, Hmm. um, but nevertheless himself has (laughs) made a fabulous amount of money uh, being a billionaire. Um, but I would argue that the Reddit mob itself is, is going to have to be schooled. We're looking at uh, upcoming testimony before Congress, I think, on February 19th uh, with respect to Robin Hood's CEO. Uh, there are questions, clearly, with respect to how social media is being used to disseminate investment advice. Um, you know, from the standpoint that uh, you have when people sign up for a Robinhood account, they've automatically are on margin and they have the ability to trade options at no cost. One has to argue for, is there customer suitability requirements in terms of how uh, investors are able to trade? I mean, we're clearly at a moment here where people are potentially at the risk of losing billions of dollars. Uh, and the market at the same time has been potentially, at least in some areas, uh, destabilized to the extent that uh, heavily shorted stocks have gone the other way. Uh, Clearly, they're being shorted for a good investment reason. I would argue that the Reddit mob uh, is going to have to be schooled uh, so this market matures and stabilizes. Yeah, David, customer suitability, that's a big, big issue when, you know, someone opens up an account at a regulated broker or dealer. When you sign up for this app, there is none of that, is there? No, people are able to sign up very easily and one would argue too easily. And from that standpoint, there does need to be some regulatory oversight here. Um, I would argue here's a good opportunity for regulators such as FINRA uh, and the SEC to come and inquire more closely as to how it is that Robinhood is conducting their business. All right, we have to ask you about Amazon. You're an expert in Amazon. You've been watching it really since the, the beginning of Amazon Times. Who is this new guy and what's the old guy going to do? 
Yeah, no, certainly in terms of Jeff Bezos, um, you know, stepping back at the end of the third quarter of 2021 into an executive chairman role. I mean, clearly he's not walking away from the company by any stretch of the imagination. That's where the term executive chairman comes into play. Uh, but certainly he does have a, a more strategic focus that he wants to concentrate on to the extent that he's put um, the people heading up the cloud operations in charge. Uh, certainly look for Amazon to become more competitive if they aren't already uh, in that area in order to sort of fend off the likes of whether it's Oracle, whether it's Google, uh, whether it's IBM trying to encroach uh, or Microsoft trying to encroach on their cloud territory. So in this regard, we don't necessarily see anything that's going to be a significant change of style going from Bezos over to his successor. Um, but we would say in a broader question now, as we're starting to look at vaccinations um, gain traction or vaccination efforts gain traction, you know, the fact that you've now got Amazon along with its other three peers among the text majors now having annual revenues in excess of a trillion dollars. As we start moving towards perhaps what hopefully will be a post-COVID world, you know, we're going to have some very tough comps to deal with in terms of growth year over year, sales, earnings and potentially stock prices. And, you know, might we be looking at a situation here where Bezos is deciding to step aside uh, into this executive chairman role uh, so he can be seen as sort of going out perhaps at the top, maybe in yeah. terms of the stock price. Yeah, that was kind of one of my thoughts, uh, David, because what a quarter mm. and what a year uh, Amazon just put up uh, last night in terms of its re results here. And I guess, as you mentioned, David, there are some concerns that, Near-term comparisons are going to be difficult in, in 2021, but it, it appears when you talk to investors uh, that the long-term bullish case is better today than it's ever been. No, no argument there at all. And I would say that, you know, clearly we've had a shift towards work from anywhere. Um, the reliance upon the cloud has only grown stronger. Uh, Amazon is the leader in that market. It is a higher margin business. Uh, than the e-commerce side of Amazon. And so while e-commerce may not necessarily see the same growth because of a transition to a post-COVID world, one might argue that the secular shift that we've seen over towards work from anywhere, distributed workforce, a dependence upon the cloud is going to work very, very much towards Amazon's strengths. David, thank you so much for all of your expertise and joining us today to talk about all of the stories. David Garrity is Chief Market Strategist for Laidlaw and Company and Partner at BT Block. And I think that last point is extremely well taken. We're seeing a whole bunch of shops raise their Amazon price targets today after earnings. And you have to imagine that this, this can't keep happening quarter after quarter. So maybe this is the top or very close to the top. So for example, at Jefferies, the price target is now 4,000 from 3,800. A pivotal the price target is 46.50 from 4500 Morgan Stanley 4200 from 3900 I mean these these prices are just phenomenal Paul yeah they really are and it just point to uh, the long-term bullish call uh, I think most uh, analysts have on uh, Amazon Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Bonnie Quinn. I'm on Twitter at Bonnie Quinn. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.